0: Celebrate Memorial Weekend, we call it. And, and tomorrow is our Memorial Day. There's there's a lot of, of struggle that people have when they look at holidays um, and, and they go, Oh, this is a great day to head to the lake and spend the weekend just fishing and, and swimming and, and enjoying our time. We'll barbecue, we'll do all these things with the family, but sometimes I think we forget the importance of these days. We know that there's a day for veterans. And it's in the fall. And it's where we honor those who have served this country in a military aspect. They're still living. Memorial Day is a day that is set aside for us to remember those who died giving their lives in battle for the freedoms not only of Americans, but others around this world. It's a way that we honor and remember those who gave an ultimate sacrifice, their life. We have a lot of things that we are reminded of, those things that are memorials, those days, those moments in history that, that call to our, our memory events that, that from that moment on, life would never be the same. I want to share with you a few of those days, just briefly before we get into this, days that maybe you remember, and maybe it was a moment in history in your life that that things just stopped. June 6th, 1944. Invasion of Normandy. Otherwise known as D-Day, to usher in the end of World War II. Now, we know that when World War I began, it was a day that was marked in infamy. But there's something about D-Day, that day when the Allied forces stormed the beach of Normandy with the cliffs above them, and they were just slaughtered. Some before they even reached the sands. It, it, It was going to be, we're all in... We're all gone. It was a moment that marked the tide has changed. And it brought forth the end of World War II. In 1972, during the Summer Olympics, yet they were overshadowed by what is known as the Munich Massacre in which 11 Israeli athletes, their coaches and officials were held hostage And they were eventually killed. And the world was on edge because it was on television. They were glued to their seats. Eight years later, in the Winter Olympics in 1980, the U.S. hockey team defeated the Russians one of the greatest moments in American athletic history. And you remember that moment of just the celebration that broke out across the country because finally, the undefeated was defeated. And America became victorious. But there was the end of the Vietnam War on April the 30th, 1975, the fall of Saigon and the boat people. And knowing that this war that had had been ravaging lives of people, not only Americans, but but so many people, finally was, was finished. January 28th, 1986. The Challenger, the shuttle disaster that happened. Many of you can probably remember that moment. Watching this new, this wonderful space exploration. And then saying, what what, what just happened? And realizing lives were lost so that we might be able to explore something new and unknown. Then there was September 11, 2001. The United States was attacked by terrorists with a direct affront to our freedoms. Man, these are all days in which we remember just... The moments in time. And, and we're saying, this this has changed my life. This, My life will never be the same as a result of what has just transpired. Last week, Game of Thrones. An HBO show, it ended. And apparently people were so distraught that they were calling in sick to work the next day. They couldn't handle working. And not only that, but some places were setting up counseling centers for people who are upset with the ending. Where have we come to? Memorial Day. A lot of things are important for us to remember. I remember the birth of our children. Oh, that was, that was life changing, and, and you don't understand it until you become a parent. But then I remember the birth of my grandchildren. Life changing. I remember on October tenth, nineteen eighty five, telling a woman that I. Believe that I love her. I remember November 22nd, 1986, when I said, I do. Those are moments in my life that have changed me for who I am today. But there are other things that are significant. Jim and Eileen, they're getting ready to celebrate 60 years of marriage. Sixty years. Years. David and Jessica, today's your anniversary. Seven years. Yeah, you got nothing. Sixty years. Moments in time that cause a ripple effect in history. How many lives are touched and changed as a result of those moments? Sometimes we'll never know. But I want to look at a moment in history, a, a most memorable event that happened with, with a very remarkable man in Acts chapter 10. And in this chapter, we, we've talked a lot about Paul and Saul, and we've talked about Peter and James and John, and we've talked about Jesus. and we talked. I mean, we've got all these different people, these characters, but all of a sudden, in the book of Acts, we are interrupted with an individual who has not been spoken of in the history of the Bible up to this point, but God is going to make this moment in time something that is so special, something that is so unique, it has never been done before to call attention to one individual who is going to impact you and me. We even get His name. Sometimes you don't get their names. But this fellow's got a name. In Acts chapter 10, let's begin in verse 1. Now there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius. He was a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. A devout man and one who feared God with all his household. And he gave many alms to the Jewish people, and he prayed to God continually. And about the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, fixing his gaze on him and, and being much so alarmed, he said, what, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He's staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants. And after he had explained everything then, he sent them to Joppa. Now you see this. The story introduces to us this centurion, this this man by the name of Cornelius. And you have to understand what a centurion. A is. centurion is a soldier for the Roman, and not just any Roman. This is the Italian cohort. This is one of the the groups of men of a hundred men who are specifically designed to protect any of the royal officials who might transfer back and forth from Rome to the different locations, such as Caesarea Maritima. Caesarea Maritima, you have the picture, of Matthew? Was there last year. This is on the Mediterranean Sea. Beautiful, beautiful location. It's a location that did not have a seaport. Along the Mediterranean Sea, it's kind of rough especially on the eastern side there, and and there really weren't places that were designed for ships to come in safely. Herod the Great. And one of the reasons he's known as the Great is because of his architectural and his engineering abilities. This is one of those cities that he built from nothing, designed it specifically to capture Caesar's attention, So that he might be considered king as well. He he designed, and what you can see there with that picture, if Matthew would go back up. The picture. Can you go back? What he designed there along the sea is a a seaport that you can see on the left upper side where over 300 ships could come in safely. And right there to the right of that, you'll see the seating on the side is what they call the hippodrome. It's where the chariot races took place. I'm actually standing in the palace that was designed by Herod the Great to live in. And and during the life of Jesus, this is where Pilate spent most of his time. Unless he had to travel down to Jerusalem to interact with people and to convict Jesus of high crimes and execute him. You know, those kinds of things. There was a theater behind us here in this area that that was designed in the hillside that seated thousands, and they had the ability to flood that theater for war games with ships. Cornelius, he is the top dog for the military in this location. But there's something about this man. Not only is he the centurion, and and usually if you read in the New Testament, the Bible speaks a couple times about centurions, but it always mentions them in a very favorable way. There's another centurion who came to Jesus and asked that one of his servants would be healed. He's a Gentile. But he's got some unique qualities about him that are different. The Scripture says he was devout. It means he, 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 he spends his time in, in, a, in, a, in a godly and a dutiful fashion, um, pious in nature, not in a bad sense, but that he wants to serve in a faithful way a God. He's devout to him. And it tells us that he feared God. Now, now he's, he's a Gentile who's, who has attached himself to Judaism but has not chosen to undergo the formal conversion of being circumcised and being baptized into Judaism. He's not yet there, but yet he he, he has been attracted by this this faith that they have of one God that he himself is making it his faith uh, considered basically like a a proselyte at the gate who's not yet entered in. And and it tells us that that he's, he's... He's there to pray to God and he's there to give to people. And so we, he, he gives alms to the people, very similar to what Ruth did. She, you see, when she married a, a, an Israel man, and she was really from Moab, and, and her husband and her brother-in-law and her father-in-law, they all died, they're going to go back. And, and she wants to connect herself with Naomi. And so she makes this statement. Ruth, Ruth tells Naomi this, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. Now, although Cornelius does not officially join the Jewish people, he cares for them as his own. Very similar to what Ruth is doing here. And Naomi is telling Ruth, Naomi... Naomi says, Ruth, you need to go back to your people. I'm going to go back to Bethlehem and you just need to go and and, and, and take care of your family and stay there. And she says, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm connected with you now. And wherever you're going to go, I'm going to go. And your God is going to be my God And in essence, that's what Cornelius is saying. I am so attracted to the God of Israel that I am going to not only pray to Him, but I'm also going to financially support those people. And so he's giving alms, he's giving money to the Jewish people to make sure that their needs are being met. How many Roman citizens do you think would do such a thing? Here is a man who has fallen in love with God. What a memorable man. And he's not asking for anything in return. He's not even asking to be able to go into the temple because he's not converted fully to Judaism. Very prayerful. He puts his faith in action. And Paul tells us putting our faith in action is important. As a matter of fact, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, he says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Maybe Cornelius understands that. Maybe he's come to realize God doesn't need me to become Jewish. He just needs me to love Him and by my actions demonstrate it. And he's doing that. He put his faith, and his practice of pure religion. James tells us what pure religion really is in James chapter 1, verse 27. He says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. I think that's Cornelius right there. And in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, Micah says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. What a man. But the second thing I think we can discover in this passage of Scripture here in chapter 10 is that there's just a memorable conclusion that he comes to. Well, not just him, but others as well. They've come to an understanding that, hey, God wants... Well, let's look at it. In chapter 10, verse 28, Peter now interjects. As they've come before him, the the guys that Cornelius has sent out, and and he's saying, now, now, fellas, you know, (laughs) you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. And down in verse 34 and 35, it says, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality or favoritism. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. So based on this divine revelation that Peter receives while he's there in Joppa, staying with a a tanner by the name of Simon along the sea as well, God gives him a vision while he's up praying in the middle of the day and says, Hey, he lets down this beautiful sheet and within it are all these animals that are accessible for them to eat but also animals that they are not supposed to eat under the Jewish restrictions and regulations. And yet the voice from heaven says, Eat. And Peter says, Well, you know I can't do that. Three times he gets this dream. And then he's told, Hey, by the way, there's some boys that are coming down, down downstairs. They're going to be knocking on the door any moment. When they get there, you need to go with them. What do you mean? So, as he heads downstairs, sure enough, here are these soldiers that Cornelius has sent from Caesarea down to Joppa, and they're ready, knock, 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 and Peter's there and says, Oh, hey, I'm supposed to go with you guys. God has shown me (laughs) that it's okay. You know, I'm not supposed to go with you to go visit any Gentile. I can't walk into his house, but God says, It's all right, I'm coming. So Peter has come to a new conclusion, a new understanding that it is no longer the God of Israel, but it is now the God of the universe. For anybody, whether they're Jewish or Roman, Italian, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether they're circumcised or uncircumcised. In other words, whether they're Jew or Gentile. There's no bearing on the fact whether they come and worship God because He is the God of all people. And so based on this revelation, Peter now, as in Matthew chapter 16, and he listens to how God reveals to him these things. And remember in Matthew 16, when Peter asked, who do people say I am? And they're all coming go, some think you're Elijah, some think you're Moses, some think you're this And he says, Okay, okay, I know there's a lot of talk about who they think I am, but who do you think I am? And Peter makes that statement there in Matthew sixteen. Well, you're the Christ. You're the Son of the Living God. And Jesus says, Simon Peter, that's amazing, but that was not given to you by man, but it was revealed to you only by my Father in heaven. And the same type of revelation is now taking place. Not only does Peter understand that Jesus is the Christ, but now he's got this revelation that he understands that Jesus the Christ is the Savior of all men who will put their faith and their trust in Him. And so we move forward in this, and we see that there's an equal opportunity for salvation. It's not just for Jews, but it's for anybody. There are no second-class Christians. They're all welcome to it. In his autobiography, Mahatma Gandhi, he said that during his student days, he was interested in the Bible. Especially, he he was touched by what he read in the Gospels. And so Mahatma Gandhi seriously considered becoming a Christian. All right? But now listen. So one Sunday, he decides he's going to go to church. As he went to church to see the minister and ask for instructions on on the way to salvation and, and, and other Christian doctrines, when he entered into the sanctuary, the ushers in that church refused to let him sit down in a seat. And they suggested that he go and worship with his own people. Mahatma Gandhi left the church and he never went back. Can you imagine what that man would have done for Christianity had he converted to Christ? But the church would not recognize him because he wasn't them. He said to himself, this is his quote, if Christians have caste differences also, I might as well remain a Hindu. And that's exactly what he did. You see, the salvation that is offered in the Gospel message is for anybody. And how dare we tend to think that we know who can receive it and who cannot. That's what was revealed to Peter that day on that rooftop. And and that's what was revealed to Cornelius in his own prayers. That God says, I have heard your prayers, I have seen your alms, and they have come up before me as a memorial. Therefore, I want you to go send for a man by the name of Simon. He's also known as Peter. Peter. He's staying there. It tells me exactly where to go get him. Bring him here. And at the same time, Peter is being told, hey, I'm opening up something that you think is defiled and I'm going to make it clean and you can do whatever you want with them so you can go into the house of a Gentile. And that's what Peter does. Based on faith in Jesus, while Cornelius was a very good man, salvation only comes through Jesus. The final thing we look at is this memorial uh, conversion. It's, it's, It's memorable in the fact that all of a sudden what takes place here and how it happens is different than anything else you're going to see in Scripture. Why is it different? Because God has to make clear what His intentions are for those who are not Jewish. That includes you and me. I don't know of any of you who have Jewish blood within you and you can claim yourself as Jewish in nationality by race. But most of us aren't there. And so what he's saying is, what's happening with Cornelius is going to enable you and me to have salvation too. So through the preaching of the gospel, and we see this here in, in chapter 10, verses 42 and 43. And he says, and he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him, all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. And so what Peter is telling Cornelius, you have to understand that I know you've been reading the Old Testament because that's how you've come into a contact with the faith in God, and you're doing all these wonderful things. You're praying to him, you're giving him alms, you're you're, you're living a life that is devout, and, and you fear him. He says, I understand you got all this background, but all those people that you have read, all those prophets that have written about this, they are all pointing to Jesus and by putting your faith and your trust in him he is going to forgive your sins. And Cornelius is excited about this message. And then through the presence of the Holy Spirit listen what it says in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking, Peter's telling him about Jesus and how the Old Testament Projects that Jesus is coming while Peter is still preaching and speaking about those words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And the uncircumcised believers, the Jews, no, the Gentiles, like Cornelius. All the well no, all the circumcised believers who came with Peter, they're amazed. They, they, they can't believe what's, what's being said. And, what, and now the Holy Spirit is showing up? So because of the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also? For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. You see, we know that the Word of God is powerful. And as as Peter is preaching the Word of God, it is confronting not only Cornelius and the other uncircumcised people there, but all of a sudden it is confronting through the presence of the Holy Spirit even the Jewish Christians. And they're amazed that God God is even letting the Gentiles, He's letting those scoundrels, He's letting them become part of the church? They're, they're amazed. They can't believe that he's doing he's he's obviously poured out his spirit on them, and now he's wanting them in the church too. They're, they're, they're. Here is that term probably dumbfounded. They don't know what to say. But this is what's happening here. Now, the word of God is so powerful and, and, and it confirms throughout the face. Listen to what it says in Mark 16.20. They went out and they preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. Sometimes God would use miraculous events to let people know that His word was true. Now we know that when we go back into the book of Exodus and we see what happened there in Egypt with the ten plagues. God says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. Okay. Boom. And ten times he performed such disastrous miracles in the lives and in the nation of of Egypt to confirm that his word was real and his purpose and his direction was true. And he did that on the day of Pentecost. And now he has done that same thing that they experienced back then. He has done that now in the lives of Cornelius and his household. Did they also have received the Spirit? The Holy Spirit is convicting the world of sin and it convicts them of righteousness and judgment. And through the practice of faith that is seen in His baptism, Peter now says this. Then, towards the end of that passage in verse 47-48, he says, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Can he? You see what Peter's asking? He's turned to his fellow Jews, Christians, and he says, you obviously see and hear what I'm seeing and hearing, aren't you? You you know that this is the work of the Spirit of God in their lives. Can we refuse them to be baptized? Can we tell them, no? how dare we do this? If God is pouring out His Spirit on them, we've got to let them understand the fullness of that Spirit. He says, we can't deny them to be baptized. And so what's He do? Listen to what He says. And He ordered them. That word is interesting. Peter ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to stay on for a few days. Hold it. Cornelius is a devout man. He's a good man. He's a man who, who, is, who is worshiping God, who prays to God, who gives to people who are in need because of his relationship with God. He's devout in faith. He, he he's even has the Holy Spirit presented in his life. And I understand baptism and the Holy Spirit are part of God's terms of pardon for forgiveness. We see that in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Galatians, Paul says in chapter 3, verse 26 and 27, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, for you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. So why does he have to be baptized? He's already got the Spirit. Because it was necessary. Why does Peter order them to be baptized? Because it was necessary. And I'm telling you, don't believe the lie that baptism is not Necessary. It is. And that very day. Cornelius and his entire household. They were baptized into the name of Jesus. For the forgiveness of their sins. Even though they'd already received the Holy Spirit. If you have not been baptized. I'm telling you. You must. Jesus Himself said that He must do this in order to fulfill all righteousness. If it was imperative for Jesus, the perfect man, to be baptized in order to fulfill righteousness, it is a must for us. We've got too many wishy-washy preachers out there in churches that are saying, oh, just believe. Pray this prayer. Whatever it is, I don't see that in Scripture. What I see is the evidence time and time and time again. You see, Cornelius, in order to become a, a converted Jew, he would have to be circumcised and he would have to be immersed publicly. And he chose not to do that. But he still worshipped God. But in order to find salvation in Jesus, he even surrenders himself in obedience to baptism. Don't put it off. Don't put it off. Because it's what He asks of us. I wish I could order all of you to do that if you've not done it. In Acts chapter 10, verse 48, it closes out by saying, Then they asked Him to stay on for a few days. Why did Cornelius want Him to stay? I'm sure it was kind of a celebration of the fact that now the kingdom of God has expanded into the Gentile world. And so it's to all nations. All nations of people have an opportunity for salvation. Maybe they want to know more about Jesus. And, and, and discipleship, you have to understand, doesn't end with baptism. Once you're baptized, it's not, well, you're saved, Go on your way. No. Now granted that happened with the Ethiopian. But he already had a deep understanding. And we know that he went back and a church began there. But we've got too many people in our day and age who do not know the Word of God. And when it is enlightened to them they still need teaching. They still need instruction. We need to to disciple more and more. John Newton said this, when I get to heaven, I shall see three wonders there. The first wonder will be to see many people there whom I did not expect to see. (laughs) The second wonder will be to miss many people whom I did expect to see. And the third wonder, and the greatest wonder of all, will be to find myself there. I pray that you develop a devout faith. I pray that you understand how Jesus is the author and perfecter of that faith. And that His sacrifice on the cross, His resurrection from the grave give you an opportunity for salvation. But it's only done by putting your faith in Him, by repenting of just the, the bad things that we've done, by surrendering your life to Him in baptism, being immersed into His name, clothing yourself with Christ, and then living faithful. That's a challenge for all of us. We're going to have our invitation, if you would.